0: Okay, so we are still chugging through chapter one, um, section three, section three, um, we left off talking about
1: last class, we didn't have class last week, because of Purim, but so I'm going to give you a quick reminder, last class we talked, we ended off talking about fasting, and how it came to be, how fasting kind of came to be, and why we don't, the alter Rebbe doesn't put fasting as part of the chuva process. Okay? So I'll, I'll, I'll read to you what we said last class in conclusion. And now we're obviously going to delve into it a little bit more with a little bit more detail. So fasting is not a component of chuva, nor is it a requirement. For atonement through suffering which is always imposed by god so remember we said like the one of the thought processes behind the fasting is that if one of the ways for certain transgressions is suffering right to um, gain god's atonement then why can't you just why can't somebody just do it for themselves right put suffering on themselves fasting on themselves and we said that the suffering has to come from God. Like you can't decide what, when, and how. That's God's job, right? But it's never completely simple. So we, so this class, we're gonna talk about how fasting
0: was still incorporated
1: in certain tshuva processes and why, uh, and when would it be appropriate? Is there a time when fasting is appropriate? Okay. So we know that the fact that fasting isn't an essential part of the mitzvah of tshuva, it's proven because there's an omission to fasting in tshuva in all like the definitive texts on all the places that we quote the mitzvah of Tshuva, fasting is not mentioned. So that's proof that we know that fasting isn't an essential part of Tshuva, right? But what are the, some of the additional requirements that we do know about Tshuva? We, lot, we spent a lot of time talking about the, um, the spirit, the, um, what's that word that we use a lot? the the spirit of chuba right like the the pinnacle you know what i'm saying right um we spent a lot of time talking about that but we also know that there is the core yeah the core yeah tshuva. core concept of chuba right there um thank you so but we also know that there is a like i grew up thinking that chuva was all about the verbal confession right and uh And the requesting forgiveness, right? Like that is a big part of the chuba process that's spoken about, right? But these are additional requirements that are mentioned in text, right? So what are some of those? It's the verbal confession and the requesting for forgiveness. Um, That is part of the chuba. There are, they are additional aspects of the chuba process that are important we actually do do them right they are important but they're not required and they're not in the spirit of chuva. that's the word i was looking for they're not the spirit of chuva. what do we say the spirit of chuva is what is the key um the key um gosh, I'm losing my words today. Wow. It's been a long day. Oh, uh, it's spring break. Component. <laughs> What's
0: component? the key? Like, um, component. Yes. Or the key, like the, oh my God, whatever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Too bad this is recorded. It's going to come back to bite me for forever. I can't even pretend it didn't exist. Right. Um, the, the, the spirit of chuva is what do, we, what do we know about chuva and, and the key component is that it looks towards the future, right? It looks towards the future. Um, so when we, when we do confession and when we ask for forgiveness, those things are focused on the past. So they're important parts to the process and we'll talk about why. But it's not in the, it's not the spirit of chuba. It's not what chuba's um, definition is, okay? So it's about changing, right? It's about looking to the future and deciding what you're gonna do differently, not getting stuck and wallowing in the past and having shame and all that kind of stuff. Um, So there is like the Rambam writes. Not in his not in his um, list of commandments of mitzvahs, so Rambam writes in um, in one of his books that we are commanded to verbally acknowledge the sins we have before God and request for forgiveness for this transgression. Um, so there, so it is like the, this process is written down. It is very accepted and a part of the process um but it is not in the spirit of chuva okay because we know that tanya was very very explicit in telling us that the mitzvah of chuva is what just the idea to stop sinning right what happens when you decide to stop sinning, we we expounded on this a little bit more. What happens is that you are accepting God's authority, right? And recommitting to mitzvah observance. So deciding to stop to sin is also simultaneously recommitting to God's authority and understanding that God's in charge and we have to follow what he wants, right? Um, so our definition of chuba does not include verbal confession, or requesting forgiveness. So how do we reconcile this? How do we understand these requirements and how do we like make sense of it all? Is it a, are we supposed to do it? Should we not do it? Is it, is it in the spirit of chuva? Is it not like, let's make sense of this, okay? So Tanya's view once and for all to sum it up is that verbal confession and the requirement or the requesting for forgiveness are part of the tshuva's overall process. They're not the essence of tshuva. That's the word I was looking for. The essence of tshuva. Oh, thank you. (laughs) It's not in the essence of tshuva, right? But what is it? Remember, we have a distinction between tshuva and atonement, right? What's tshuva? What's atonement? Tshuva is our job right? Atonement is up to God. Atonement is when God forgives you. So the, the requesting forgiveness and the verbal confession is part of the gaining atonement process. Okay. If we want to ensure atonement or speed that process up, or go down that path, like there's chuva, right? There's returning, that's strictly deciding to stop to sin, right? That, that you fulfill that mitzvah the second you decide to stop sinning, okay? Then there's the atonement process. Although we cannot control the atonement process, that's up to God, we can't like decide when that happens. There are ways to make it more plausible, Okay. And one, two of the ways to make it more plausible is to have a verbal confession, to say you're sorry, right? Like think about it in interpersonal relationships. If you are in the wrong and you wronged somebody, a friend, a spouse, you know, somebody in your life, you can like commit to never doing it again. Right. But you do help along the process if you say you're sorry, right? If you can admit that you did something wrong, right? And you verbally um, express that, right? And you request forgiveness, that that partner, that person that in, the, in that relationship is way more likely to forgive you than if you just say, I'm, I'll never do it again. What happens if you someone says, I'll never do it again, but without the like, sorry part, how
0: does that sit with you? Like for me, I have this conversation, I've had this conversation with my husband, like for me, an acknowledgement that
1: you hurt me or you did something wrong, or you feel bad about it is so important, right? Because then we feel like we're seen, we're heard, so imagine for God, and obviously he's way more forgiving than we are,
0: but imagine we just say, we'll never do that again. You're you're going to return, right? That process is,
1: it's there, but to receive God's forgiveness, I think a little humbling, right? A little like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Do you forgive me, right? Like that is an important part of the process. The reason why we focus so much until now on the essence of chuva, which is the return, is because I think it's so much easier to get stuck in the shame and in the sorry and in the whatever, that that's the e- like, it's so easy for us to get stuck there. So the altar really wanted to bring home the point that this is really about the future. This is really about changing your behavior. This is a positive experience, right? So that was very important as a foundational concept. But now that we're like reassured and we know what chuva really is and the essence of chuva, it's important to go back and like revisit the, the value of the I'm sorry, right? The value of like, oh, I really screwed up. Do you forgive me, right? It's humbling, right? Like it's making space for that other person's feelings. And I think when we gloss over that and we view it as, oh, that's not important, relationships suffer. From that, like there needs to be some some humbling, some acknowledging of the hurt and the asking, like, "Do you forgive me?" So this is the relationship with God. It's also like taking responsibility, okay. right? Like taking, taking responsibility. I tell this to my kids all the time. Yeah, I say yeah, because we we have situations where where it's very very hard for us to take ownership, right, yeah. of the mistakes that we make. So I don't want to <laughs> part, exactly. But part not. of the conversation we have and we have it, you know, not just directed towards kids, but as a family, right? Like it's, if you don't recognize where you went wrong, right. And you don't take ownership for it. It's very likely it's going to happen again because you're not even paying attention or acknowledging that something went wrong or taking ownership for it. If you're blaming every excuse me, everybody else. It's this person's fault. It's that person's fault. It's not my fault. What are the chances? What's going to stop you from doing it again? If you can't even get to the point of like owning what you did.
0: So it's not important. It means it's not important to you.
1: It's not, you know, I don't know. I would argue that maybe it's important. It's just so hard. It's so shaming. Like, I think like, especially to say you're sorry to say you're sorry. Yeah, to like admit that you did something wrong. Like, if you have like highly um, sensitive kids, and I have two of them at least for sure, like they feel so much shame that they go to the opposite extreme. They're like, I didn't do it. It wasn't my fault. They kick and they scream because they can't come to terms with the idea that they could have done something wrong or they could have hurt somebody. So they end up hurting more and they end up acting out more, but it's a defense mechanism because it's too hard for them to face the fact that they could hurt somebody. Right. So I think we, I think we experience this with God sometimes too. Like, instead of being like, I've experienced this for, with my relationship with Hashem, like, instead of being like, Oh my God, I screwed up. I messed up. I shouldn't have done that. Sometimes I get indignant well, what does it matter anyway? Or your rules are too hard or my life sucks. So why should I, you know, you're not, you're not taking care of me. So why should I listen to you? Right? Like we get into that. ho humph like, I'll show you right kind
0: of relationship. And I feel like that's very normal. Like, I don't know, I, I've done that before. Like, Oh, no, I don't care
1: anyway. I don't care anyway, right? The blase, like, well, I don't care anyway. But really, that's a defense mechanism It's because we care and it's sensitive, and our relationship our relationship to Hashem is so important that we don't want to screw it up. And we can't face the fact that maybe we were responsible for that. So, back to our discussion at hand, it just because it's not the essence of the mitzvah of Chuva, it's still important to recognize the value and the importance of the I'm sorry and the recognition of our mistake. And that leads us on the path of atonement. If we want God's forgiveness, there are ways to make it happen um, or to ensure that it will happen in a timely manner or, you know, or that it happens at all. Right. If we don't show God like authenticity, like we really, really, you know, we're sorry, then, then why, why, why should there be forgiveness? Right. So um, so that the tshuva atonement paradigm, right? It's a cause and effect relationship, okay?
0: Full atonement indicates that the process of tshuva, right? Is completed. And the atonement is the outcome of the performing the essential mitzvah of
1: tshuva, right? It's like this cause and effect thing. I'll repeat it if we receive atonement then we know that the tshuva process was completed right and was good and if we do
0: tshuva correctly then the outcome of that process will be atonement yes how do we know that we've received atonement that's a very good question i, I don't really know
1: i think there are a few different ways first of all after Yom Kippur, we are supposed to be really confident that our prayers were answered, and we have a clean slate. That's what God wants from us. You want to believe that that this is answered. Um, the other the other parts of the like, if you, I don't really know. I feel like I I don't I don't really know. I'm gonna ask. I'm, things ask. go things start going good for you, type of thing, or, or or really bad, right? Like if you're suffering, then you know, like then maybe you didn't get a tone. That's your atonement process, right? Like, that's why I don't really know if like we get a hard and fast rules of like, how do you know your atonement? I think this is why the Tanya focuses on the tshuva part of it so much. It's because you do your part and leave God to his part. You do your part and trust that it was accepted and it was fulfilled and you did the right thing and leave that part to God. You have to go about your life. If you did your tshuva authentically, that it was received. And I, I feel like that's, that's how we're supposed to do. I will make a note to myself and ask if there's a, if there's actually a specific way to know that your chuba is accepted. I feel like we shouldn't really focus on that because we can really get consumed by it and be like, was it accepted? Was it not accepted? How do I know? You know, like we're not supposed to like dwell on that so
0: much, but, but just for curiosity's sake, let me find out. So just gonna write a note for myself. If there's a way to know our chuva is accepted. Okay. So verbal confession. One second, I have somebody coming in. Verbal confession and requesting forgiveness um, helps
1: kind of secure the atonement, right? Um, but they, again, they do not constitute the mitzvah itself. This is because we have learned that the essence of the mitzvah, don't ever let me forget that word again. Whoa. That was like a trip. The essence of the mitzvah itself relates to the future, 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 right? And the atonement relates to the past, right? Gaining atonement is God forgiving you for your past mistakes, Tshuva and returning is
0: directly and only related to the future. Okay? Um, so we ha- there we have it. Now, remember we were talking about fasting. We didn't forget about that. We're going back to that. The, the Tanya raises a challenge from the Torah
1: to our, our, our above conclusion, right? We have a conclusion now, atonement past, tshuva future. What's the essence? What's the, you know, the extras or the, you know, the good things to do Um, that, but we seem to have like a quote from, from the Torah, from, I think it's the the Neviim that um, fasting that to challenge the fact that fasting is not part of the chuba process. There's a quote that seems to allude to or actually say pretty explicitly that fasting is part of the chuva process. What's the quote? The quote from from is from um, Joel Yoel. And the quote is, I'll quote it to you in English. Return to me with
0: all your heart and with fasting and with weeping. What does that sound like? Return to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping. It
1: sounds like the returning process includes fasting and weeping, i.e. suffering, right? Um, and there's this direct correlation to tshuva and fasting. Um and, it, and, it, and it's important that the Tanya is quoting exactly from where this is, from where this verse is taken, because it matters to the context. So it's taken from Yoel. And um, because it's, un, it's not really common for the Tanya to like give us specifics, like it usually says from the scriptures or from the this or from the that, you know, or from Kabbalah, right? Why specifically do we know who it's from? Because... It's important for the discussion. Yoel was a Baal Tshuva. Um, Baal penitent. Okay, he was a person that was a sinner and returned. Okay, how do we know that he was a sinner and he returned? He was actually the son of Shmuel. This is all new information to me, by the way. I should have known this, but I didn't. He was a son of Shmuel. And we are told that Sh- Shmuel's sons did not follow in his footsteps. They did not follow his ways. They turned dishonest and they accepted bribes and they perverted justice. This is a quote. But later we see that Yoel merited to become a prophet. And there's even like a book, right? Um, So obviously he must have done Shuba and returned to Hashem, right? So this is even, this even strengthens the question, right? By stressing that this quote is from the book of Yoel, the plea to return to me with fasting was not only a call to shoot, a call to, to do teshuva, but it was said by a Baal a person who returned to Hashem. So this, this makes this apparent connection between fasting and teshuva very strong, right? Here's a person that returned, who was a sinner, who returned to Hashem, and the way he did it was through fasting. So, how do we reconcile? Okay. So the Tanya goes on to say we need con- more context, more context of the story. Okay. Why was Yoel fasting? It was like this is what um what's it called? Timeout. This is why context is so important. You know, when like people randomly quote from the Torah and they're like, "Ah, then this is what, you know, like you cannot take one sentence without knowing what we're talking about. And this is just a really good example. The, the reason why Yoel was fasting was not an act of tshuva to atone for his past. What was he doing? He was a prophet. Why was the fasting? Why was he fasting? Because he was trying to convince God to annul a very severe decree that was issued from heaven to cleanse the sins of the generation, okay? What was happening? In the book of Yoel, in chapters one and two specifically, you will read a graphic description of this plague of locusts, okay? And the the locusts were completely ravaging the food supply, leaving them to starve. And then there was lack of rain. So new crops weren't growing, right? And it was a very, very dire situation. So what happened, Yoel, who was the prophet at that time was beseeching people to pray to God and fast to annul a decree. And it actually worked. They fasted, they prayed. They repented and rain fell, which allowed crops to grow for the following year. So what do we see from here? That the fasting wasn't about a past transgression. It was about averting a decree and averting the future effects of the decree of starvation. Right? So the fasting was not an act of tshuva, which is carried out for the past sins. So what do we learn from here is that public fasts are often carried out to avert misfortune or um, terrible decrees that are to fall on a community. That, That was a very common way to like recognize that, oh man, like this is bad. We need to pray and fast. What's another time that that happened? We just passed it, Purim, right? In the fast, in the in the book of Esther, right? Um, Queen Esther beseeched Mordecai and the whole nation to fast to avert the or, and to help her be successful in averting the decree of Haman. Right. So the idea of fasting is common and appropriate when used for a public declaration of like, please help save us, right? It's to avert a decree, to avert a misfortune, um, a terrible tragedy. In public, that's what it's used for, okay? So um, in conclusion of this section, public fasts are carried out not as an act of tshuva, but to avert misfortunes or um, decrees, from playing out to the end, right? They usually the decree has usually started by the time the Jewish people realize that they should, you know, shape up and fast. Like the decrees probably already started, but in order to um, prevent it from carrying it out to the very end, we fast and we pray. Okay, so that so that is section three. that is, Answers the question of public fasting, okay? But we, but we still, section four. We need to address the fact that in specific Musar Sfarim, in specific Musar books, fasting was used a lot for personal repentance, and they're valid, but like they're accepted valid books. So we have to understand that a little bit more. When did people use fasting for personal for the personal process of joshua and that's what the tanya is going to discuss now right um we know from these muster books that there are certain sins usually sins that require we talked about this many classes ago but excommunication right kare's excommunication um that God provides suffering for, right, for full atonement, but there's very, very valid um, references to fasting for those kinds of sins, to the point where you, like, even know, like, the amount of sins, like, 40 days times four, and sometimes there was even, like, a year of fasting, obviously, with, you know, breaks and water and whatever, but there was this process of fasting to repent for sins that required Hares excommunication, um, and by the way, we're not going to get into it here because I I don't have enough knowledge. But I think it's important to mention that the Tanya specifically met, uh, specifically mentions um, the midst, the transgression of um, spilling seed, and um, it it's a spilling seed in vain, which is, which is treated like a viol- violation punishable by karis Okay. And it tells you exactly how many fasts, whatever it gives a specific example. I don't know why, but I think we learned, remember how we learned back in chapter seven in the original books of Tanya, like how like precious and how important that whole concept is in the Torah. Yes, Carrie. I don't understand spilling seed. It's um Ooh. um <laughs> it's probably something it's really simple. simple huh? This the, the of onan, the of no so I mean in it's in semen in, it means semen. Yeah but, simple terms wait, masturbation semen, semen. for a male spilling seed when you're not with the intention of being with a woman and using your semen and your seed for procreation and for in the proper manner. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And the time it talks about it, right. I asked my husband, I asked my husband, I said, I asked him while I was preparing. And I said, I said, why? Like if this, the mitzvah, and this is a little bit of a tangent, so gosh, whatever, but interesting enough, why because i have this question i think probably a lot of people do as well like if the spilling of the seed is punishable by karais, which is excommunication it's the same as like breaking shabbos right like why isn't this like why why don't we like talk about it like why is it and i and i asked him and he said it is just as important, but like, it's uncomfortable to talk about. So they, it just, it doesn't really get spoken about. And um, I don't have any more answers to that, but it just was, it struck me as like, wow, this thing is like a big deal. It's a big deal. And also like, I feel like also so much harder. I mean, we're female, but for males, like this is a really big deal, right? And so how do you reconcile this with puberty and kids growing up and not being shamed right, not being shamed by this biological um, kind of normal response and growing up to um, the, the, the real weight that it holds. And I just think that, I don't know, I feel like it's not really spoken about. And I think like I have a son, you know, who's 10 and I'm like, where's the guidance? And where's the guidelines of speaking to young boys in this area. Right. And it has to be so delicate because, and I also think that it's hard to put so much weight on something that is such a very biological, hard thing to control. Right. So these are my questions. I don't have answers for them. Um, but I think you know somebody figure out that. the answers because what, I said, let me know when you figure out the answers because Davey's nine. So when you figure <laughs> my it out, my son is nine be... too. He's turning ten next month. So yeah. I think it's going to urge me to actually seek some guidance and some advice on on that because yeah. I feel like it's important. And also, the worst thing that could happen is shame
0: around it, right? I know. I was and just that, that, and that that um, anyway.
1: gets so much more. You can get into so much more trouble if you. Yes put shame around it yeah for sure right but it's it's not I guess it's just it's not an it's it's a big deal it's not like a thing that we just should be shoving under the carpet and hoping yeah. for the best I guess is what my is my thoughts are on it yes. um anyway um okay I,
0: so we, always, I had always I had always heard it in the context of um premature withdrawal as a form of um, birth control, sort of. Yeah. And that that was
1: the the real sin. Right, right. I, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's complex. It's a complex idea and concept. And I think we're at we're in this generation. I think previous generations figured it out and it wasn't as important but I think in this generation um where where we're at these things can't be like swept under the rug anymore I feel like they have to be talked about and addressed and taken care of with with you know sensitivity and love and respect Um,
0: if you think about it this is like creation of God this is well. That's why it's the, a big deal. Yeah, it's that's huge. That's why it's a big
1: deal because there's potential for life, and we don't just take that lightly. Right. That's precisely why it's a big deal. Um. So okay. So back to the fasting. So there is reliable and um, valid, you know, the like discourses and books and musr, you know, that that gives the the guidance of fasting for, for these types of sins. Right. You know, anything that would be, you know, a severe sin of like excommunication. Right. So, um, how do we, how does the Tanya reconcile this? Right. Like how do we, you know, knowing that this was, first of all, very common practice, let's say in the 1700s, right. Very common practice in the times of the Tanya, it was very common practice for, right, like we spoke about, like self-harm and fasting and like a, like a very harsh self-punishment for, for sins, right? That was a service of God of like pain and suffering. We don't want to serve God that way, right? We, Hasidus teaches us that we want to serve God out of joy. So how do we reconcile these concepts? So the Tanya has three answers. Okay, number one, um, the fasting that is talked about in the Mussar texts is not connected with the mitzvah of tshuva, but it's all about averting punishment and averting punishment by suffering inflicted from God. So if you want to avoid punishment i.e. the suffering that God gives you, you can maybe do so by fasting. You could try, right? It's, this is what it was addressing. We, we spoke about last time that really the suffering has to come from God. But if you find a way to fast and to kind of self-induce that suffering, maybe you maybe you can avoid the suffering that comes from Hashem. Okay. That was, that's one answer. Okay. Um, and in this, it kind of resembles the fasting for, it resembles like public fasting, right? We said public fasting was to avert a decree, right? Or to, to avert punishment or to avert suffering. This is kind of on the personal level. If you want to avert suffering or punishment, you could try a, a, a fasting regimen. Okay. That's the first answer. The remaining two answers um, that the Tanya suggests um, actually do have some connection to tshuva, okay? So answer number two is to speed up the complete atonement process of a person's soul, right? So as we learned, we know that atonement forgiveness is a result of tshuva, but it's not the essence of tshuva, right? It's it's not crucial to tshuva. You don't have to um, receive atonement for tshuva to be done, right? One possible way um, of speeding up the the atonement process would be fasting, right? So the so what happens? So the so the person who's atoning doesn't have to wait for God to choose when he's going to finish the atonement process, right? And receive the suffering that's necessary, you do it yourself so you can speed up the process. Okay? In this in this explanation, the fasting does have a chuba association. What's the chuba association? That it speeds up the atonement which is a sec we know it's a secondary effect to chuva we know it's second to a- the actual chuva process but it still could speed up the atonement process in order to receive it a- because you know remember when we first started learning is that this whole atonement process takes time right you have to atone and then you wait till yom kippur and then some sins not only do you have to wait till yom kippur you have to wait till you get some of your suffering which is out of love remember that whole out of love part you don't want to wait for that. And you just want to speed up the process. You people try the fasting route. Okay. The third and final answer, um, which is also connected to tshuva, is that this is very interesting. Um, perhaps the person who's doing chuva did not return to God with all his heart and all his soul out of love. Right. Remember, we want to return out of love. Maybe this person returned out of fear. What happens if he's returning out of fear? God does not send him the suffering. Right. Because remember, we learned the mirror. If you repent out of love, then it's reciprocated with love in the in in the in the package of suffering. Right. Right. Because we learned that God only sends suffering to a person for complete atonement as an act of love. But God does this only when the penitence tshuva is also carried out with love. So if the person, if the tshuva is motivated by fear, God will not mirror back the love of suffering. So fasting is therefore an act which may be carried out to encourage God to complete a full atonement process with or without suffering, okay? So basically, and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna quote to you from, from the other book that I have, is that it's very, very hard to know if we've repented completely out of love because we're human. And maybe there was some fear involved. Maybe we, there was some fear of punishment. Maybe there was some fear of, disappointing god maybe you know maybe there was fear of love fear involved in our repentance and if our repentance wasn't completely out of love then god doesn't mirror the love and then the atonement process can get stalled so the fasting kind of acts as a like as a insurance policy almost like maybe if i didn't do my atonement completely out of love here's my fasting to to do the suffering part of the atonement and and to speed along that process even though maybe my fasting wasn't out of complete love that is the end of chapter one okay I'll take questions, but I'm also going to give you um, a recap because since we started learning, that was all chapter one, okay? Few months, right? So I wanna give you a recap of the trajectory and what we did in this chapter. So we have that clear in our mind before we move on to chapter two next class, okay? Let me give you the, do you have a question first before the summary? Harry? No, I have, uh, just, I want to state something. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's just me or, or what, but it's very, very difficult to be a Jew. Oh, <laughs> yes. you're so right. Okay. It is not easy. My, my, my husband tells this to my kids all the time. You know, cause it's hard, especially when you're isolated and no one else is doing the things right. It's very, very hard to be a Jew. This is why when, when people look to convert and to join the Jewish faith, we send them away multiple times because it's like, do you really want this? Like, are you sure? Because you have like uh permission not to do these things. Right. So like, are you sure? Right. So it is, it's very, very, very hard to be a Jew. There's a lot of it's it's, God has very high expectations from us. Right. And that could be very daunting and very overwhelming at times. And then we always like, remember the flip side, right? Like the love and the joy and the connection and the, you know, and the, the beautiful spiritual, um, rewards that we get from being a Jew, but it's two sides of one coin one doesn't happen without the other right it's because that it's so hard that the rewards are so great right and and that and that applies to our life in general right the things that you work very hard on mean so much more the things that come easy for you they're nice but they're they don't hold as much weight and as much value as the things that you really put your heart and soul into and i think that's the same with Yiddishkeit, with our judaism like two sides of one coin. It's so hard, right? And so beautiful, but we are going to fail. This is why this book exists. Not because God has high expectations from us, but he doesn't expect us to be perfect, which is why we have the tools and the guidance to return when we screw up. Not if we screw up, it's when we screw up, right? Like we're gonna, we're gonna, right? Okay, um in conclusion, okay, as a review, um we started off by the Altar Abba making several distinctions to the type of flaw that ha- that is that happens by the different types of sins, right? Remember, we learned like the different types of sins and the different things that happens when we sin like what is happening in the world and in the higher remember a a long time ago we discussed like when you do this kind of sin this is what happens in this world and, and 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 the world and the spiritual world and the physical world and when we do that kind of sin this is happening right um and we discussed the process of repentance and atonement for positive commandments as opposed to prohibitions right remember the whole difference between between that remember that And then in middle of all that, we touch upon what the very root and essence of repentance is, right? And the difference, the differentiation between repentance and atonement, right? Repentance is up to us. Return, tshuva, is up to us. Atonement is up to God, right? Um, And then we spoke about the fact that Hashem has... Given us this mechanism of repentance and the ability for the person to transcend reality and by doing so erase and reprogram the pattern of his life. When we do chuva, it's like we get a clean slate. How does that happen? On Yom Kippur. Why? Because Yom Kippur transcends time time. So you need that special day to be able to give you that clean slate like, you, like you've like you never sinned before, right? And then we address, the rest of the chapter addresses the distinction between repentance itself, this is important, the repentance itself and the practices that accompany it, right? Such as fasting. So we have repentance and the essence of repentance itself, and some of the practices that go along with the tshuva process, including fasting, okay? What do we, what's the conclusion we come to? That repentance at its essence is an intimate experience, right? Remember, this is really culminating everything we spoke about. Repentance is an intimate experience, why? Because it's an internal shift that a a person makes regarding the direction of his life, right? The second you decide to do something differently, to stop sinning and do something differently, the second that eternal shift happens, the return process happens. And that's a very personal, intimate, um, uh, intimate experience that you have with God, right? So any accompanying external actions do not constitute the essence of tshuva the essence of, of return right and it will be made clear in the coming chapters we're going to keep coming back to that fact so the top the altar but does not negate the these these other processes and these other external manifestations of repentance, such as asking for forgiveness and verbalizing your mistake. In fact, there are encouraged to some degree, right? To some degree, it's very important that we say we're sorry and we ask for forgiveness, right? But we always must remember that the central point is the future look to the future right the the decision to do something differently and um the other things that we use to supplement teshuva is there to expedite and to help along the atonement process okay there are only enhancements to repentance and um again it ends off with saying the essence is the shift and the person returning to accepting God's authority and what he wants from us that is the essence of teshuva as we know it up until this point okay so we have now concluded chapter one which is a big milestone. chapter two was way shorter chapter one was like Guys, it was a big deal. Very, You should be very proud of yourselves. You stuck it out. You hung out with me for the last few months. And we will.
0: It's only been a few weeks.
1: Not a few months. We started in January. The 1st of
0: January. Been months? January,
1: February, half of March.
0: True went by fast for me i know
1: right um look out for the email next week because there is a chance that um i am going to have a speaking engagement out of town that they asked me to do last minute so if it comes through then i'll be flying home monday um so it's can we we watch it i might not have class huh can we watch you somewhere (laughs) oh my speak my speech i don't know I, I'm not in charge of that. I just speak. I'm <laughs> not in charge of all the technical ways they broadcast or whatever. And
0: you speak so well. Oh, oh thank you.
1: Thank you. True. Um, so that, just look out for that. And then I'll have to like think about what our off schedule will be. And so I will keep you posted. What Usually we take a couple weeks break. Um, because of just the craziness of the time, but I'll let you know when that will be, when I have a better grip on my life, which I do not have right now. So So next Monday, no, not for sure. Just if if I end up going to speak, then we'll be off, but I'll let, so just look out for your email. I'll let you know. Um, so, but I just wanted to give you a heads up that it's a possibility that I won't, but we'll be here, but let's quickly do like a little check-in with our bodies. Hey, Um, let's take a deep breath. Let it out. Take another inhale, and in your exhale, you can close your eyes. The first thing I want you to do before we even do any breathing is just be aware, recognize, observe where you are right now, where you are in your body. Where your mind is, where your emotions are at, how you feel, are you uncomfortable in any way, in any physical way, any emotional way? Just the first amazing thing that we can do for ourselves is to just notice what we're feeling without even trying to change it. Just notice what am I feeling right now in physically in my body and emotionally. So I'll
0: give you a minute to do so. Okay,
1: so now that we're kind of more in our body, we're aware where we're at, let's do a, a few breaths just to bring some grounding
0: and calm. Inhale. When you inhale, just open up your chest, open up your heart, open yourself up to receiving. And when you exhale, physically let your body like melt, rest, like a
1: sigh. And when you do that, you ground yourself, you calm yourself.
0: And let's do three more. Inhale. Exhale. Inhale. Exhale. One more. Inhale. Exhale. Okay, now that we maybe feel a little bit more grounded, present,
1: um, I'll, I'll give you some food for thought. So verbal confession and requesting forgiveness secure atonement, contributing to the full expression of tshuva, but they do not constitute the essence of the mitzvah of tshuva itself. So those are their good supporting actions, but remember, they're not the essence of tshuva. Public fasts are carried out not as acts of tshuva, but to avert misfortune from occurring. Personal fasts recommended by Musser can also serve this purpose of like, preventing misfortune and punishment, and there's also a possibility that personal fasts may be associated with tshuva to ensure that atonement will take place or to speed up its completion.
0: I just want you to just take a second and to remember
1: the essence of chuva, that we're looking to the future, that this is a point of connection. This is a process that we hope to do out of love, not out of fear. And it's a gift that we have, that we have a way to return when when we mess up because we're ganu because we're human and it's messy life is messy hashem has very high expectations from us but he also has realistic expectations from us at the same
0: time just sit with those ideas for a minute does anything resonate for you
1: does anything seem like a practical addition to your life?
0: Does anything kind of freak you out? Again, no wrong or right, just observe and sit with it. Let's bring our attention back to our breath. Inhale, exhale. One more time, inhale and exhale. Let your breath go back to it's just natural way it wants to be. And wiggle your fingers or toes, kind of bring yourself back to the present, roll your shoulders, your neck. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes.